All right, we're live. Our guest today is one of my favorite people on the planet, Barney Sankar. Barney is currently a product manager at Runwise, a Series A startup aiming to enable buildings to run more efficiently and intelligently using wireless hardware and software. I'm excited to dig into his career experience, uh, but then also a number of topics outside business, including health, wellness, uh, mindset. Barney is a former D1 tennis player and has had some great insight into the role that fitness and competition can play in adding value to his life um, on and off the field of work. So I'm very excited to explore a number of topics here. Um, but without further ado, Barney, welcome to the pod. That was uh, probably the best intro I've ever gotten for, for anything. So I appreciate it. I appreciate it. No, thanks for having me on. Um, we were talking about it just before. Like, I feel like you guys have been doing this for a little while now, but getting better and better. So happy to be a part of the journey. Appreciate it, man. Yeah, we yeah. we go way back, and just as a fun fact to clue everyone in, Barney and I <laughs> met in high school. Uh, we became fast friends. We're very similar. Yeah. We like music. We like sports, and yeah, really excited to kind of get you on um, the pod today to talk about you know where you've been since we met in high school, how how the journey's been, both career and and otherwise. But we always like to start off with somewhat of a controversial question. Um, just to like, you know, get those podcast nerves out, but yeah. we'll, we'll, we'll continue the trend here. Um, pickleball or paddle? Uh, Ryan, I don't know how you feel about it, Aaron, but like Ryan and I have talked about this pretty intently. I, I'm neutral. I think pickleball is good for people to get into, into a racket sport. And I think it's good for that sense, right? I play pickleball just because I feel like I'm better than most people that do play pickleball and that have an upper advantage. So like, it's kind of easy playing tennis growing up. Paddle to me is like completely dynamic. It's something that is pretty big in Europe right now, obviously. I think uh, Robert DeWolf mentioned it. It's like here in the States, like Austin has it. We played it in Miami a few months ago back in May. I think California has it too. Is is a wrong answer? Like I'm neutral. Like I could see. It was a little bit and... political. Um, I was hoping you wouldn't start off so political. So that means we got to shake you a little bit more to get <laughs> you know the the full opinionated Barney on on the wire yeah. here. But I'll, I'll I'll kind of make it easy for you. I'll throw you another softball. Can you sure. describe to people who maybe have ever played either of them? Like as someone who came from a tennis court, you grew up playing tennis. Like maybe pickleball is more accessible and that's kind of where it's getting its growth versus paddles more yeah. similar to tennis. Like what are, I guess the main differences there? I think, I think with pickleball, you don't need a whole lot of skill to be able to play. Right. So like to be somewhat decent, you can get out there, hit the ball back and forth, like not really pay attention to the rules of the game and just have fun. So it is accessible in that sense. Paddle is like completely different because you it's bouncing off the walls you're scoring like you do in tennis. Uh, the the way that you play the game is very similar to how you play tennis. Where in pickleball, like you can't really do what you do on the tennis court, so it's like more skill oriented. Um, what takes more conditioning? Which one takes more conditioning? Uh, I would say paddle. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, unless I, you're playing I haven't played paddle pickleball. that much either. Yeah, singles pickleball is a beast. You're covering like a full court on your own that will get the whoop into like your 10s, 11s, maybe 12s in terms of strain. But paddle, I think, is 
I don't know. I still think like paddles a little bit more mental too. Cause you kind of have to like anticipate a little bit more, pay attention a little bit more. Pickleball again, it's accessible, but it requires less skill. Cause you can go out there and just hit and kind of figure it out to a certain degree. Um, that, that being said, I've played a lot of, we played in a pickleball tournament a couple of months ago and we got our asses kicked. I was going to say that that's that a, I would never expect to lose. It's a to. good hedge. It's a good hedge B because you know, as me and Aaron are owners of a major league pickleball yeah. team and you were trying to <laughs> self recruit your, you know, your talents to our team. Uh, you know, it started to slant towards paddle there, but you know, I, you saved I'll, yourself. Uh, he, he's, he's, he's a Chicago politician. We'd slip him 20 bucks. I'll <laughs> say whatever we want him to say. Yeah. You guys I mean, have, somebody has to explain paddle to me. I don't even know what the heck it is. Y'all forget I went to Godwin, not deep run. So <laughs> I don't know these types of things. So. It's like, like a hybrid uh, between pack, uh, uh, racquetball, right? Racquetball and Yeah, it's like racquetball tennis. and tennis. You score the way that you do in tennis. You use balls that are very similar to tennis, but you're bouncing off of like a glass wall similar to you, like it, racquetball, essentially. So is it it's, on a racquetball in a racquetball little course thing, arena. It, it's kind of it's kind of like a racquetball type of course thing, but it's also like the court looks like a pickleball court that just has two big vertical lines on each side for doubles, no kitchen, and then like glass all around you. Um, but it's crazy because like if someone hits the ball over the cage, you can still go on the other side and play it back in between, like the nets. It it's kind of nuts. I'll send you. I'll send you a video, but I will take a tryout whenever you guys want me to. <laughs> there it the is. Big wall team. Easy, easy. There it is. <laughs> I, I yeah. do want to take this opportunity maybe, as an excuse. Hold on, maybe, hold on, hold on. maybe if we all get good at this, we could like form the Indian team right here. We'd, have to, we'd have to be like top 100 right now just because 100 people don't know about the game. It's so... <laughs> uh, that's fantastic. B, I, I want to use this as an excuse to... Walk us through, because we had a funny, we had a funny and enlightening conversation. Speaking of conditioning, um, you were a college athlete, and yeah. I asked you. I was like, you know, obviously there are levels to strength and conditioning, and so I remember asking you actually at your house this summer. I was like, what, what was that actually? What was that like of uh, going through a collegiate program conditioning? Like, what are they feeding you? Because I was, uh, I, we were cracking up. We were like is it like Alabama football or like, how, like what, what, what type of levels are, but what you described is, was pretty intense. And it sounds like it, yeah. it was very shaping of an experience for you. It was. So to, to everyone listening, I went to Longwood university, which is a super small school in Virginia. We played in the big South. So if you're familiar with like coastal Carolina, Winthrop, Gardner Webb, they've had good teams that have made the NCAA tournament in basketball. That was the conference that we were in. So we were like mid-major, but even in mid-major, we were probably like, you know, bottom 50% of mid-major, just small school, access to funding, whatever you want to call it. So we weren't doing what the Alabama football team was doing, but it was, it was pretty rigid, right? Like it was, it was a second job, as everyone says, when you're an athlete, rather, regardless of what level you're in, I think the disparity between the three Division one, division two, II, division three, like for us at division one level, every minute of our day was like programmed out. Now, it wasn't as crazy as it might be at like an Alabama or a UT or UCLA, USC. But for me, it felt like a big change because high school, Ryan knows this, like 
we played tennis just because it was something fun to do. I never thought I was going to go play tennis but in college. You, my you won, you won how many state titles in deep run? So let's, we can't gloss over the details here. Yeah, three, three straight team state titles, which was a pretty cool feat. Um, but it wasn't that serious, right? I mean, we took it seriously, but it wasn't as serious as what college was like. So like from 6 a.m. till 6 p.m., my entire day was planned out. When I was going to work out, when I was going to run, when I'm going to go to uh, my individual session, weights, what time I could eat. My class schedule was always between like 8 a.m. And, and 1 because I had to be done by 1.30 to be able to eat, get um, you know athletic training done just to make sure I'm not hurt too often, whatever you want to call it, like maintenance, and then on the court from 3 to 6. And then after 6 o'clock, it's like whatever we want to do, but naturally it's like study hall because you're an athlete and they think you're you're not going to get your work done. So we would have study hall from like 6.30 to, to 9 o'clock. You, men- you mentioned it was like a second job. Did you get fatigued from it? Did you stop loving the game? That's something that I used to have conversations with with a lot of the guys I used to represent was it was fun being the best in Little League. It was fun being the best in middle school and high school. Yeah. And then they started to get paid and they sat on a bus and it was like, wait a second, like, I don't really even enjoy the game anymore. It's just something that I happen to be really good at. Um, Did you feel that ever when everyone else was going to a fun event Friday night and you had to go to a tournament in the middle of nowhere Saturday? Yeah. I mean, I never got to go visit Ryan at UVA and it was like an hour away because like my schedules were crazy packed or like go down to South Carolina to see all of our other friends too. Right. Like never could do that. Um, I will say this. It was difficult my first year and a half because we weren't that good of a team. And then I joined a fraternity at the same time my sophomore year. And so I I was kind of living these like best of both worlds. I was in a fraternity. So I had like the nightlife or like the the frat star experience, whatever you want to call it. But then unlike everybody else who could like drink on a Sunday and be ready to go to class or maybe skip class on a Monday, I couldn't do that. Well, not, and, not with that attitude, but yeah, I hear you. <laughs> Man, you're built different. You're built different. Yeah. But it was like the first year and a half, we weren't doing well as a team. And I saw this like whole other life where I was like, this is what everyone's doing. That's my age. We're 19, 20 years old and people are in fraternities. They have this like glamorous, you know, lifestyle where you're out with your friends. You can see people. You can go see other, make trips to go see your friends at other schools. Um, but, you know. I think the first year and a half, the team was putting what was putting in what we were getting out. Like it, we were half-assing shit, to be completely honest. And so my sophomore year ended, and I contemplated just like not playing tennis anymore, and maybe looking to transfer to a UVA or JMU or or something like that. But um, but I realized that like to Ryan's point, like I just love the competition, and I was like okay, it's not so much about what um, everyone else around me is doing. It's like, can I bring some type of competition every single day for the next two years? Because I'm not going pro. I'm a five foot eight brown dude from, from Richmond, Welcome Virginia. The like, there's no way. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm not, I'm not going pro, but the, the competition of it is like what drove me. So I was like, okay, like maybe the next two years, your junior and senior year, you really buckle down and see how far you can take it. It ended up being like two great years results wise for me and, and for the team. 
I like that description you gave. Like, I know like some like capital one recruiters just rubbing their hands. I was like, <laughs> draft pick right there. Like, what'd you just say? Like yeah. five, eight yeah. Richmond, Indian, take them, take them first yeah. round right there, yeah. baby. Mama 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 licking their chops. Yeah. 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 Speak to yeah. something you mentioned, you know, like there's a team and you can only control what you can control. And a lot of that is your, your personal activity, but at the same time, you're part of a bigger group yeah. effort and you won some state championships. How have you seen that translate to the business world? Because I think it's very analogous and something that I continue to preach. And Ryan and I's father was a really good college athlete. That's why we're in yeah. Huntsville, Alabama, was he came down here to play soccer. Is It's it's a different cut because you you had to learn like how to be yeah. disciplined, get things done, work with others. And you've probably been doing it, whether you want to admit to it or not, since a very young age, because you're minimizing it. But Ryan and I have never won a state championship. Ryan and I have never played sports at a high level. So really at an early age, you had to figure out how to work well with others and work harder than most. I'm sure you have God-given talent, but just a lot of hours that took you to be able to serve the ball you do or return the ball the way you do. How does that translate to business and the way you approach it? I think the one thing business-wise, it's just taught me how to deal with different kinds of people. So each team has a bunch of different personalities, right? You're always going to have like the best person or the superstars on the team who or on their own schedule, because they just know, like, if I put in 50%, I'm still going to be 100% when I play. Then you have, I think, people like myself who are like, I have to, like, put in the hours to achieve what I need to achieve on the court, on the field, whatever you want to call it, because my talent just doesn't translate that well. And then you have people on the team that try so hard, just as much as you do in the middle or, you know, three times more than the superstars do up top, but they can never break that that barrier, right? And if you think about it in a business sense, on a team, at a company, at a startup, you have that across the board. You have people who are like pushing themselves to the limit. And then like you mentioned, Aaron, like with Ryan, like I've always looked at Ryan, I was like, dude, you're just a wizard. Like some of these things like you just see way better. And like, I have to like train myself to see those things. Um, and so it's like, taught me how to deal with different kinds of people but it's also taught me how to like extract the most out of those people whether it's myself or teammates from a business sense it's almost like you figure out how to have a conversation with those people to get the best out of them or like push them to get the best out of themselves for what you want to do and that was how like you know my college last two years went where i was like i'm just gonna show up every day and like i'm gonna be first there i'm gonna work hard and then you know, work harder than everybody else on the team. And I started playing above people who have way more talent than me. And that was a little push, right? They were like, okay, like I shouldn't be losing to him because I haven't lost to him in two years. What's happening? Then I showed up to a 6 a.m. I was at 545 weights. They were there at 530 stretching before me, which I didn't take offensively at all. I was like, all right, cool. We're in this together, right? Same thing with business sense, like, I'll show up every day and try and just make sure that my half of the court or my job is done so that I'm available to help everybody else out. And once people start seeing that, it's like, how do I bring the best version of myself so that I can do the same for other people on my team? I like that hybrid business tennis um, kind of analogy. And Marnie, it's one we've actually talked about the last probably six Mm -hmm. months. I didn't grow up playing tennis, like whatever, played ping pong and maybe like pickleball or something like that and understand some of the strategy. But I started kind of, you know, watching the U.S. Open even just, you know, a couple of months ago 
and realize that there is so much like strategy. It's very much like chess. And I thought it was really interesting how we talked through, and I'd love to hear you kind of verse it back. Talking through like players like Ben Shelton, who are going on the offensive and trying to win points um, versus who, who won Coco Coco, who is a very like defense, like she's not making any unforced errors. And I think that's such a cool idea in business and life of, of, you know, you're, you're kind of playing the situation or the opponent. Um, But yeah, maybe talk through some of those like analogies. I know we, we had a conversation around. Yeah, yeah, Yeah. It's like high risk versus low risk right the the thing with like people like ben shelton or even if you look at like carlos alcaraz like very high risk they're trying to assert themselves into the situation early take away time from their opponent and like really just like play the game on their terms that's like the thing same thing with ben shelton right they're gonna win or lose the match like it's yeah but and then you look at Coco, which is like, she's kind of a little bit more patient. She's like, okay, like first set, I'm just going to kind of feel out my opponent. What do they like to do? What are the patterns I'm seeing? How am I going to kind of like navigate through that? If you saw her US Open run, lost quite a bit of the first sets in a lot of her matches because she was like figuring out the style of play of her opponent, which happened in the final for the US Open final too. She got, she lost the first set like 6-2. But, you know, she changed her game the last two sets and adapted to the way because she kind of understood, all right, here's what I can do to kind of get on the offensive a little bit more. So both of these players like end up playing the same same way. One's going to live and die by the hard ball. The other one's going to kind of progress to the hard ball where they feel comfortable. And the greats can do like, both, right? The Federers yeah, and the, the Djokovic's. Yeah. I mean, like Djokovic will have a 30 ball rally with you. And then the next point you, you can't even return a serve after a shot, right? So, like, he – greats can do that. Um, but a lot of people, I think, at least in the tech world or, like, the business world, it's the same thing, right? You have the people that are just like, this is the mission. We're going to push hard as we can to get there. And then you have other people on the other side who are like, I don't know if we really found product market fit or I don't really know if, like, this is the, the one solution that's going to take us to an exit or to an acquisition or to an IPO. And they're kind of playing the waiting game. Um, tennis translates to life pretty, pretty well in that sense. And like the mental challenge, right? Like Ben Shelton, he's going to hit the ball 149 miles per hour on his serve. He's going to hit the fastest forehand that he can. And he'll tell you in interviews, you know, like I played the, the game the way I wanted to play. And I just, it just didn't work today. Whereas like, if you look at Coco's press conference, it's a little bit more methodical. She'll talk about the fact that like, she was serving well the first set and hitting her opponent was hitting forehands really big, but then she tried to slice second set, throw her off and like be a little bit more dynamic to like throw her off her rhythm. And then she found her groove to where she could like step in and actually hit her shot. So it's like, I could go on for hours about this, but I've seen me playing tennis again in the last year, translate that to the game where it's like, I'm able to read situation. It's like, okay, I'm going to hit the ball or like go towards this as fast as I can. Or I'm going to take a step back and kind of wait to see how things play out. And then I'll go on the offensive when I feel comfortable. There's there's something there, though. And, like, there's a complexity with what you just mentioned. And it, it's very, very similar to the business world. It's something, Ryan, and I talk a lot about in negotiations. Because you can mm-hmm. understand the fundamentals. You can understand the terms. 
but it's not also about you. It's about yeah. playing the other player. So I'm yeah. assuming it's the same thing in tennis. Like you yeah. can be able to return serves for a 140 mile an hour machine all day long. It's another yeah. thing all of a sudden like get a feel, I presume, for the way that they're acting, their attitude, their shifts and patterns. And then you yep. can change and adapt like you just mentioned. That's what the greatest can do. They always say Mayweather yes. to the casual fan isn't a good watch. But if you're a boxer right. yourself, you'll see him like a computer download right. everything the opponent's doing and then undo it versus a right. Deontay Wilder who, like you just mentioned with that other tennis yeah. player, he's going to come swinging, but he's also yeah. going to get knocked out every once in a while. Right, because you, you have weaknesses. Right. And it's it's interesting because, like, Ryan knows this. Like, Miles, one of our friends, Miles and I talk about this a lot, which is, like, when when I, like, go play tennis now, I don't go against the ball machine or I just don't sit there and be like, hey, for the next hour, we're just going to, like, hit up and down the middle of the court, Right. If I want to go and play in matches, competitive matches, tournaments, whatever you want to call it, I have to like make myself uncomfortable and just play points, play a set, play a couple of sets. Because I could sit there and hit 10 perfect forehands off a ball machine, but when I see it during the match, that ball is going to spin differently, it's going to bounce differently, I'm going to be in a really awkward position, so I'm going to have to like shift my weight to get ready for the ball it's a lot of stuff that you see, like even in, in the business world, it's like, how are you putting yourself in situations to try stuff that you want to do and learn from that versus being like following the footprint of a ton of other great founders, right? Because they did that work to kind of figure out, All right, I'm going to try a bunch of different things. It's why founders are successful the second, the third, the fourth time that they do something because they're able to recognize those patterns. So it's about just doing something, even if it's at a very small scale to understand patterns of things that work and things that don't to then build something that works really, really well. Um, and, and is like really successful. Switching gears. And then maybe we can jump off this tennis thing. Like how has tennis <laughs> the game playing it at this high of a level, like impacted like just your professional career? Because it's something now as Ryan and I get older, we realize like we're idiots. We should have been playing golf and tennis from day one, but I suspect every interview that you had professionally, that was the thing that people wanted to discuss. And, yeah. and it's a recognition of that's very, very difficult to do. It's it's different. And it's just cool. Like, have you found that to be true? I, I suspect you probably got invited to a lot more lunches with partners or the equivalents because they <laughs> wanted to talk about tennis with you. Yeah. I mean, even at the job that I have now, my first, like I had a phone screen with a recruiter and then I met with my boss uh, for a 30 minute, like first interview, let's just say. Before we even like started the conversation, he was just like, oh, like, I did a little Google search and it seems like you're a pretty good tennis player. And it kind of like broke the conversation into like an easier thing. He's like, I played in high school, probably not as good as you. But then we started talking about like what, how I played or what my style was. And then that lended itself to kind of break the ice. Um, I would say eight years ago, people wanted to talk about it, but it was more about like the first question that Ryan asked, which is like, what was your like, discipline experience your schedule like how did you navigate that and looking at your transcripts like you did pretty well in school so like let's talk about that now i think people are starting to realize because tennis is becoming more popular with the netflix documentary and then just big personalities like Al alcaraz and sinner and all these other guys that like the mental piece of it if you can get a good tennis player or a good golf player even other athletes in general, right? Like the mental side is what you want to have at your business, at your corporation, at your fund, because 
uh, they've gone through these like ad- small but like big adversities at like the sports level. So doing that again in a business world, it's the same thing. You kind of have like a different gear that you shift into when when you're facing challenges. Like it's fun for me versus like I don't shy away from it. If that makes sense. If I'm dealing with something at work or there's an issue or something, it's like, all right, cool. It's almost like trying to prove to myself how quickly can I go and figure out a solution for it. Because if I can do it once, I can do it again. Mm-hmm. And then it's the same thing with every other situation that you kind of run into. So I think, you know, common theme in the conversations that you and I have is, I think we like to point out, and some of it's speaking to ourselves in abstract yeah. of like everyone, everyone's a creator to an extent. I think people don't look at themselves as like an artist because they're not painting something or not making music. I think one of the coolest like endeavors you've always been very forward leading on is like creating actual art in terms of music and podcasts. It's actually the first podcast I ever went on was yours. So I'm forever grateful for that opportunity. What, what kind of pulled you towards those things? Like you, like be easy was making raps and we used to like, we used to laugh, right? Like, but yeah. you put in good, you put a good time into that kind of stuff. And I don't know, yeah. man, clearly like being able to take, um, you know, the, the public viewing your thing, that's the whole fear. That's why more people probably don't do it. But talk yeah. about like what puts you over the edge of that fear, um, like the activation energy to get you over that edge. Like clearly there's a creative pull for you. Yeah. Um, a lot of it is like how I grew up. So like my mom was a like classically trained in Carnatic music, Indian music, uh, growing up. So like, that's something I did growing up. You're kind of forced in situations at the temple, at events, Chirag will know this, like we were dancing in front of a thousand people when we were seven years old. I was singing in front of like 200 people with my mom at the temple when I was like seven years old. So like, that naturally lended itself for me to not feel so afraid of like what, what was going on. Um, but I think like to me, it, I, I watched this video one time, probably when I was in high school or even like early in college. And they talk about how like creativity is for others. It's not for yourself, but it's for others. And I think I feel that when I hear a song, Ryan and I, Aaron, like we, we share, music together all the time but like i'll know within the first 30 seconds of a podcast a movie a song if i'm going to listen to it through like the whole way or i'm just going to stop at some point because i get a feeling and it's like this like nostalgia that comes or like something in my brain is triggered where i'm like oh just thought about this the other day i want to know more about how this person faced it and the biggest thing for me is i think this is part of something i'm learning continuously is owning who I am and I feel like owning who I am has a lot to do with what I put out and how I talk about things or do things regardless of like I have a pretty bad track record of like starting things and never finishing them but I try and I give myself a little bit of credit for that I probably should see something through and I think I'm figuring out what that is for myself but it's creating for others so that they get a feeling that they might recognize and they use that to do something and like it's a chain reaction. So they do something that somebody else takes and kind of does. So that's kind of always kept me going with that stuff. It's like, yeah, I made a song over the pandemic. It actually was pretty decent. I didn't make any more songs after that. But 
it was fun for me. And then so many people reached out. People I hadn't talked to in years reached out. I'm just like, wow, like your music's gotten so much better. Or like, I didn't even know you could sing. Or like, I didn't even like, did you write that yourself? Like it forced other people to kind of do things that they didn't really want to do because they had someone that they knew do something. And I feel like I've had those moments with myself, which is just about carrying it forward. Well, I find it inspiring. Like I said, like you're the first kind of model in my close network of someone who put himself out, out there in this type of media. I appreciate and I know it. For Aaron and I, we've had a, we've had a great time. Like we put out four of these episodes um, yeah. as of like this today, you know, November 8th. And we've just had a ton of fun. We've reconnected with a lot of people and we've had a lot of messages go back and forth being like, Hey, I just checked it out. Like it was interesting. And so yeah, it's, it's been a very rewarding experience. Um, but I think you got to give yourself a little bit more credit because, you know, even when I was, you know, trying to do some basic background, obviously I know you, but I'm trying to do your, you know, your resume justice. Like you actually do have a very consistent, um, working experience and maybe just We'll transition a bit because I do want to hear yeah. about your professional experience, and I know you like to share about product management, especially. Um, yeah. But along the same lines, it seems like a common theme has been like sustainability um, yeah. and environmental uh, consciousness um, through your last two roles at Reekly and, Run and Runwise, and in your previous role um, at yeah. Consulting. Curious if that was like a magnet that pulled you into it, or if it was a, of like personal interest, or if it was like um, just a good opportunity and, and maybe that was a good career path for you. Yeah. Uh, I think it was a bit of both, right? So like ESG, sustainability, all that stuff has been a hot topic probably in the last like five years, really six years. People have been talking about it for decades, but came to the forefront just because I think my personal opinion, we're seeing effects of climate change across different parts of the world. So it was, it was a hot, it was a hot like movement at the time when I was like trying to figure out what I wanted to do next. And then, you know, that translated into consulting where I had the opportunity to look at it from a supply chain angle, then Reaply, which was a startup, my first startup that I ever joined, where I got to handle a bunch of different roles. So uh, the timing was right in terms of like how the space was booming, but then the passion of it was like similar too, right? Like I feel like I always want to do something good. Um, and I try to do that most of the time in my personal life, but I figured that if I could do that in an impactful way with my career, then when it's all said and done on the tombstone, I could feel pretty pretty good about how I spent my time, which you're working time, you're spending a lot of time doing stuff, a lot more than everything else, right? It's eight hours of our day, 40 plus hours in a week. So I wanted to feel like I was using my time to, to push towards something that that I feel like could make an impact. I like the way that you just said that, you know, people forget, like they think that everything they're doing is super important. When you go walk through a cemetery and unfortunately I've had to do that a few times this year, losing some people, yeah. all it really is, is two years and a dash in between. So yep. what, do you, what, what does that dash mean for you and what's your legacy? So I yep. really like that you're thinking about that right now. And congrats again, we talked about it before you just got married. So for you, it's going to hopefully say something like husband, you yep. know, father. And if you're lucky, grandfather. But then that yeah. dash represents everything you did professionally. I've never walked by somebody's tombstone and it said fractional CFO. If I saw that, I'd probably hit <laughs> that thing. There's, with probably, there's probably somebody out of the new crop that's that's going to do something <laughs> like that. You, you never know. But I mean, I'd love to see that that day. They'd be pressing just <laughs> for like knocking out one of those tombstones. Yeah, I mean, it's it. 
it's I think something I've realized as we got as I've gotten older, right? And so uh, getting engaged was like a big thing for me because uh, I finally started prioritizing people in my life a little bit more. I'd like to say for the first seven and a half years of my career, it was like, all right, what's the next role? How can I get to the next role? What can I do? Um, I mean, like work 10 hours in a day or 12 hours in a day and like be miserable, not miserable, but like, you know, that was like my focus. But then when I got engaged and I started like kind of realizing or understanding what's like good or important to me, I realized it was like my relationships. So Ryan and I started talking a lot more after that, right? Like we've always stayed in touch, but like we've both made concerted efforts to like talk to each other and just catch up about life stuff. Um, I saw Hassan Minaj like on the JJ Reddick podcast where he like defines what winning mm-hmm. meant to him. And he talks about how like people are like mama mentality, mama mentality. But it's like Kobe didn't have any friends. He didn't really have many people in his family that were like in his corner. And he was trying to make up for lost time after he retired by spending time with his his girls, his wife, his parents, and obviously like tragically lost his life. And I was, that was like an interesting um media clip or whatever you want to call it where I was like okay this is interesting I don't really care if I'm you know a CEO of a 100 billion dollar startup but well my time is my time if someone can say hey he was always around he was always helping out he was you know a good person a good friend that's that's probably like the the highest honor you could you could get what, what do you out. do to stay present? You know, you're in an environment and we're in an environment where everyone talks about building the next unicorn or selling to a hundred million people. What do you do to relax? Like, do you and your wife have a hole in the wall spot that you go to? <laughs> because something that I'm trying to focus on is being present and telling yeah. myself, Ryan and I talk about this when we were in LA is these could be the good days, right? And when I'm yeah. with my kids and taking them to practice and I'm stressed out, if I'm going to make it there on time. There's a there's a realization, man. In 20 years, I'll probably be dreaming of right. these moments again. So, like, what do you do to step away and compartmentalize? Hey, we're trying to scale this thing to the moon, yeah. But I need to be present for my wife. Yeah, that's a. It's something I'm learning constantly, right? And I think the biggest realization I had to try and be present is that some days, like, you're not going to be able to 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 fill the cup of every single thing that you need to do right there's going to be days where like work takes priority which means i'm not able to be at home or like go see my friends or or do something that i want to do because that's what's paying the bills i have to like understand that like today like that's going to occupy my time there's other days where like friday night i don't really feel like going out i might get high and watch a movie with my wife doesn't even mean that like we're going to talk to each other the whole time right like we're not like talking during the movie but it's just like company. I think it's just like fig- like just being there next to each other. And then with friends, it's like sometimes I'll go to dinners with friends because I want to really catch up. Other times it's like, all right, day drink, 12 to 12, we're ripping all day. Um, so it's it's like the balance of it. I think we always want to have like a perfect schedule of like I spent this much time doing these things that are important to me. But it's like plus minus. It's like bas- I always think of it in basketball terms. The end of the month, if I'm in the if I'm feeling positive about everything that I accomplished in the month, then I'm in the plus. If I'm in the negative, then I gotta look at the game tape and figure out where I wasn't doing what I wanted to do. So then all right, let's switch it up next month and see if we can get back onto the the plus side of things. So constantly I think people put too much of a uh 
like a box around like I'm going to spend seven hours of my time doing this, four hours doing this, five hours doing this. It works for some people. But for me, it's like I can't do that. So it's just about being fluid enough to understand that like some days I'm going to give more time to something versus the next day might be something else. Plus, plus minus is crazy. Like I'm just thinking back to like some of my days. Like, <laughs> they would have told me like I'm on a losing streak for like seven weeks. I'd be like, this guy's like minus eleven every single week. Uh, He's going hard though in the paint. Barney over here, they're teaching different things at Deep Run on the curriculum. My guy's uh, been for like the last six months. I don't know. I don't know if it's that. I think it's just. Uh, I think it's like everyone just has to kind of play the game the way that they want to, right? And like that's the biggest thing. Once you figure out how you want to play the game. Then you just navigate it between the lines. That's something that I'm still learning how to do. Your birthday is coming up. This is actually tomorrow. So we got some November birthdays in the house. Happy early birthday, bro. Thanks, man. It's a big, the big 3-0 for you, right? Yeah. And, you know, I just wanted to know, like, it seems like this whole process, like, do you do you think it's just a matter of age? Like you got to go through the younger twenties. You can't force it. You can't be twenty two listening to this podcast and say, "Yeah, I want to settle down and start thinking about my plus mine." It's like you just got to. It's like inception, no. right? It's only effective yeah. when you believe it, right? Right. Yeah. I mean, I had a. Well, can I curse on here? Do whatever you want. It's free uh, speech. I had a. I had a fucking <laughs> crazy, crazy like. From 22 to, to 29, unbelievable. I wasn't thinking about what I was doing. I was out four days a week from 22 to 26, right? Like, I was having a blast. It's just those things wear on you. It's, again, sports analogy. Like, your body can only do so much. Your mind can only take so much, right? And then you start moving up in your career. You start figure out, figuring out who's important in your life. And you start realizing that, like, you can't do all of that. And do the stuff that you're doing before. So if someone's like 22 listening to this, yeah, that's like prime. That's you're in your prime, right? Like you're LeBron on the Heat. Like you're you're in your prime. Go yeah. win a couple of championships, party, do whatever you want to do, you know. But like you can do that into your 30s. For some people, like they extend that into their 30s. That's fine. I think it's just a matter of like figuring out what works for you. For me, the big trigger was I was getting engaged. I had to figure out how to be accountable to somebody else, not just myself. Like when you're dating, it's like, yeah, that's like my girlfriend, you know, like whatever, your life is so like separate. Getting engaged for me, I was like, whoa, I have a lot more responsibility now, not only financially, but like emotionally. So that was like a big, big trigger for me. So 22 to whenever you want to call it a stop, whether it's 30 or 32 or 35, like let it rip, have fun. Yeah, I think it's been great. I'm glad you pointed that out. In the last year, you know, I've seen you very firmly settle into your identity. It's been a cool thing to see. Um, I got to go to my first Indian wedding thanks to you. Like, yeah, I, I feel you, you know you're really you, you've always been better at it than than most, I'd say. But like embracing your culture, sharing your yeah. culture, um, and and kind of sky's the limit going forward for you. I'm curious, like into your 30s, you know, touching on where you've taking your career to date and in product management, I know you've had some cool ideas of creating yeah. like a blog or a newsletter. Um, but like, like what, what types of things are you looking forward to yeah. in, in your thirties or like what, what sorts of things are you looking to accomplish? North yeah. stars, uh, those kinds of things. Um, 
I think the biggest thing is going through this process of like getting in touch with my identity a little bit more, especially with like being a hundred percent Indian, being born there, still speak the language at home. That's how I grew up. Um, I want to probably tap into that a little bit more. So Aaron Ryan and I talked about it like a couple weeks ago, but it's like, I feel like the Indian wave is next, similar to like Afrobeat, similar to reggaeton. Like all of that is happening right now. I feel like you're going to see that pop with South Asians, like brown people. Like, I think that's next. Um, but for me, it's like, how do I find navigate myself within that space? Right. Like, completely honest probably not gonna be a big time musician although that would be that'd be lit right so i can sell my tickets on eq but uh plug 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 eq tickets no stress no fees that's the tagline for myself um but for me i think it's about creating something especially with now having a wife that's white born here grew up in nashville tennessee right she's been exposed to like my my life more and has enjoyed it so much that I'm like, okay, maybe this there's something here. Other people that came to the Indian wedding too were like, the colors, the flowers, the clothing, the the uh, the way that people threw flowers at you when you like are signified as married. Like all of that was such a cool experience for them that I think there's something there in me tapping into myself a little bit more and bringing forward something that's timeless that I could leave behind, whether it's a business or whether it's a blog or whatever it is. I think it's about creating something that keeps my family's legacy like going. Well, pitch, pitch, pitch our, our audience. I think it's a very relevant <laughs> kind of plug an idea that's top of mind that you texted me about the other day that I think it's cool. I, I know you, you might not be like actually actively yeah. far down the path, but I think it's cool. And it, it kind of speaks to what we just talked about. Yeah, I mean, so I'm from South India. My family's from Chennai, India, which is in a state called Tamil Nadu. So we speak Tamil at home. And every street that you go on there, there's this concept of mess halls. So you walk in there for like $5, you get a full-on banana leaf with 12 different kinds of foods that are on the menu today. Set menu, right? You can't change it. And it varies. Some of it can be like meat related. Some of it can be vegetarian. Just depends on the spot that you go to. I kind of have this idea of bringing that to the States where maybe it's not 12 different things, but you come into a space, you get to eat like we eat at my parents' house, which is with your hands on a banana leaf. There's a sweet, there's a couple of different things. There's rice, there's, you know, stuff that you mix the rice with. Like just that experience is something I grew up with my entire life until, you know, I started going out to eat with friends like in high school, right? Like I ate at home with my hands. And so that's something I've been like toying with. The idea of it is the concept of mess halls here in the States where for an affordable price, you go in, there's a set menu, it's all healthy, food made, homemade, and you can kind of enjoy a meal with your friends. And it's funny, in mess halls, you sit next to each other, you don't sit across from each other. Someone on the other side is is uh, you have a little bit of space so that service can go in and out and like put food on your banana leaf. But someone on the other side is like someone you completely don't know and you get to have like that conversation and interaction with them too. Um, so yeah, I, it's an idea. I haven't really started working on it. The first step is spending time with my mom over the next year to write down recipes that are my favorites and 
test it out with my friends, right? Do a dinner party or something. Um, but yeah, I'm curious on the I, take I think it's a, I think it's, that idea. I think it's a great, fun idea. Like we love pursuing ideas that, you yeah. know, are asymmetric to get nerdy about it, that have a ton of upside and, and low downside. And if right. the downside here is you get to spend extra time with your mom talking about recipes, then I think that that's a yeah. massive win. So yeah. I think it's super cool. I was going to ask Ronnie, did you ever go to one of those? You, yeah, you went I was to say, I'm, I'm, I'm game to be a beta <laughs> food tester here. Like I would love to be invited over to y'all's house to eat and yeah. I'll eat, I'll eat everything. I'll eat the I mean, beef itself. So everything's yeah, I mean, done. Yeah, so. Like you, you get the concept of it, right? Like we do that all the time. And it's just about sharing a meal with someone that you care about, but like in the way that you would eat it with the rest of their family. It's something we don't have here. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it, I think more than anything, whether it turns into a business or not, it's going to be an exploration into understanding like my world a little bit more for myself. And then trying to bring that forward to the people that mean a whole lot to me and people that just want to try something different. I love that. Um, Brian, you asked me the question again, like show how stupid I am. Like I love going to India. Um, I went for my first time a few years ago. Everything about it was enjoyable. It was honestly humbling to see people that look very much like me and think like, I'm no different. This is where my yeah. family's from. Like, yeah. wow. Like this, this is just, I don't know. I felt very grounded in the moment, but one yeah. funny story is we went to like this really nice restaurant and this just shows how much of an idiot I am. Like we sat down and like everyone had like a plate, like packed yeah. to the, to the ceiling. And I was like, yeah, they need to chill. Like I'm hungry too. But like I did like I do in the States. Like I got one plate and I chilled Then I went up, I got one globe Jaman on another plate. Yeah. I sat down, I went up, I got a couple pieces of naan. Finally, somebody pulled me to the side. They're like, Hey, bro, like this is a per plate type of pricing situation. Like, I don't know what you think you're in. Like, you're not you're not at the buffet in Richmond, you yeah. moron. So yeah. I was like, Are you joking right now? And they're like, yeah. No, no, we're not joking. So like you're probably like, who is that American that's just flexing and walking up there and getting yeah. one globe on, <laughs> sitting down, taking one bite, and then going up and getting a plate of just rice? So, yeah, I yeah, it's I didn't a, want to show my face after that. That's a funny, that's funny, man. It's, yeah, uh, India is, I mean, me growing up there, it's it's a special place. I don't know if it is for y'all too, it's with mom. So, But, I, but I've never she, been, and, and we're from the same, we're from Chennai yeah. too, me. So it's, yeah. it's crazy, right? I don't know, yeah. it feels like there's, we, we've talked about this, but it feels like, you know, the billion of us around the world, billion plus, right, it, right. are kind of quiet, kind of waiting for a moment, kind of reserved, right. have all the talent in the world, but... I just have this theory that, and I know we kind of share the sentiment that there's just going to be a breakthrough, like in yeah. pop culture, whether it's music or sports, to where that there's just a breakthrough and, and that yeah. unleashes like kind of the confidence of yeah. the masses, especially like American Indians who, who might yeah. be a little bit more passive behind it. But I love podcasts because they're good points in time to put guests and hosts, but guests especially on the hook. So we talked about it a little bit a couple of days ago. Yeah. So you had some prep work. Who is going to be, or who are some of the candidates to break through for Indians, Indian Americans across yeah. music, sports, pop culture? Who who are they? Hasmanaj is probably and one if, of them. Kind and of. And if he if he yeah. says any like um, companies, Ryan, that's really good. Like just cut this part out of the podcast. <laughs> you and I can lead invest in it for a year or two before. Yeah. So feel free to drop any company you want to. Yeah, I mean, I'm not plugged into the business side of things, but there's 
ton of people working on stuff. But Ryan, your alma mater, just got a commitment from an Indian kid for their basketball team. And UVA is like perennial top 10, top five. Um, So it's hard to say, right? Because I feel like... AP Dillon was thrown out there, right? AP AP's huge. Like his show in Chicago, tickets were going for three hundred dollars at the House of Blues, which like has like five thousand people, ten thousand or seven thousand people you can put in there, which you would never expect for an artist that's Punjabi, uh, in a big city that in the Midwest, right? Yes, there's a lot of Indian people here, but at the same time, like it's a pretty white white city, Chicago. Like, could he be um, our bad buddy? Like that's that's the equivalent that I'm trying to make. Like bad buddy. Put like the yeah. whole genre on the map, right? I think AP AP Dylan is the the closest one that you're gonna get to, right? Okay. Like he's kind of on that verge where he hasn't done. I told this to Ryan, and like he hasn't done a bunch of features yet, but I feel like he's one feature away from just being that like household name in in music. Because if you listen to his music, it's the same type of vibe that you get with like Bad Bunny, or it's like it's just it fits the time. Um, but I think a lot of the people that are doing it right now are like first movers. So they're like breaking through right now. I think that big breakthrough is probably like 10 years away and I'm not sure who that's going to be, but like these people are like, yeah, they need to stop playing with us in the tech world. Let let us in this country. We'll we'll be CEO of every company in here. They're already scared of Barney at his company. They're like, "Ah, he'll probably (laughs) take over one day. I mean, it's true, right? Like it's, you, you have these people who are. I think it was like what twenty-one companies in the Fortune 100 that have Indian CEOs or something like that. I mean, that's the game that we're playing. But I think right. to Ryan's point, we're starting to shift it to like more cultural, culturally like situated things. Well, it's like the idea yeah, that, that I tell people the, the movie scene. The movie scene is yeah. a lot too in India. Like we grew up with Lagan. This movie called Lagan. You probably know about Lagan, but like. It's yeah. a different thing. So eventually they're going to connect the dots there too. But yeah. every every single time I show one of my American friends like an Indian movie, like they're they're dying, they're in tears because like for yeah. some reason it still translates well, even if they didn't grow up in the culture. Like it's just it's just good stuff. It's funny. They might be crying because it's like four and a half hours every time yeah, they right. sit to watch a movie. Right. Oh but, yeah, Facts. but no, but yeah, it's it's uh, it's it's very similar. And I think like, obviously the tech scene going to India opened up a lot of things in terms of just, uh, just like exposure for Indian people and like what culture is and like people in the States are very, very good about embracing who they are, their culture. I don't think it's something that Indians have done very much in the past, unless you're like in India, when you leave, you kind of lose your voice a little bit because it's, you're away from home. So I think people are starting to find that now. I'm, I'm looking forward to the, to the bad body moment i'm wearing uh i just yeah. went to a burn a boy concert like that that's yeah. what was on my mind is like we're talking about people that have broken through for entire like continents and the yeah. idea that talent is certainly evenly distributed it's just like you know you got to put these people on the right platform give them the voices right. and i think the indian sound too is like very very unique like what was that song i sent you the other day that i had never heard that i think you knew of but yeah. it was just like i was like oh this is this is kind of fire we get we got a promo yeah, that in the yeah. in the show notes. Um, yeah, you got to. I, I, I forget what the song was. Uh, trying to look, I'm trying to find it through. Looking through our uh, looking through our messages. They better hope they don't get a couple of Indians on Dancing with the Stars either. We'll set oh. that off too. 
Maranah, yeah, that's that's a that's a Maranah classic. Was fire, man. Yeah, Send it to me, Ryan. Send it to me, man. R.I.P. to to Moose. He passed to away. Moose Iwala. Yeah, yeah, huh. yeah, yeah. He got uh he uh drive by in Punjab last year. Oh man! But he was he was in Toronto. But like again, like he was like plugged into the scene. Drake knew him. They that's what I'm saying. A couple of times. Like we got like, we got close with Nav. We got close with Nav. Yeah. But but we need yeah, we... Nav. Nav just gave you the same beats in the trap I know. sound, right? Like there was nothing about it. his culture that I was love involved. It. I love yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. It, it's not as much. Yeah, pure authenticity. Yeah. I'm from you right. know representing I... India so much as Toronto. <laughs> I have a question for Barney again because I'm going to ask some crazy stuff. Let's prove how real Indian he is. Are you willing to drive when you go back to India? Because oh, driving yeah. is crazy. I got a. Uh... <laughs> Driving is driving is crazy, but I usually get on the uh, TVS fifty, which is like a, a bike. Oh, okay. it's like a like a motorbike, but it's like one of the easy ones, and just drive that around. Driving is nuts there, man. Like you think yeah. LA traffic is bad? Like just go to Chennai and like tra- rush out. You ain't never had motorcycles coming at you. <laughs> yeah, it's it's nuts. Fantastic. Well, well, Barney, this has been an absolute pleasure. Um, you know, really grateful for you spending the time. We do have a sure. final closing question. You might have heard it, so hopefully you had a chance to maybe think in advance. If not, this is where I'll always offer to put Ronnie on the clock to cover some time. Um, but the closing question that we ask everyone is, if you have a mantra that, you know, you kind of use in your daily life or work um, that kind of helps you out. Yeah. Uh... So this is funny because I got this from a podcast with Jared Goff. Like, okay. don't know why I was listening to a Jared Goff like podcast <laughs> where he was a guest, but he talks about how like when he's managing tough situations and it resonated with me. When he's managing tough situations, he's a palm tree in a hurricane. He's kind of swaying back and forth, then he comes back to center all the time. Jared Goff is having a career year right now and career like. 18 months if you think about it that's how i try and be which is just like be a palm tree right some days you're gonna sway super left in one direction right in another direction but always find a way to like come back to center um that's something that i try and do more of that podcast to justin Fields, but um <laughs> helps be a rich palm tree too so i don't care yeah. what you're doing worth 200 million you could call me every name i could throw picks all day long if I'm making that type of cash, I'd love it. No, I mean, I'm just kidding. I, I love that. The palm tree's a good one. That's a palm really good one, good B. One. And, and you're right to yeah. call it out because he uh, he's had a good turnaround. We're obvious. We're we're Rams fans, as you know. Um, so yeah. we we got we got a Super Bowl out of that, that trade. Stung a little bit. Yeah. yeah, yeah. We we got Stafford and got a Super Bowl kind of immediately. But like you know, it takes a lot for someone like him to get traded away from like a Super Bowl contending team. To even keep your head in the game. So I mean, he's been to the Super Bowl, right? Like he was at a Super Bowl, yeah. NFC Championship twice, right? And then you go to the worst team in the league, and then now they're like actual contenders potentially to winning the Super Bowl. Their name's up there, and like, yeah, yeah. Coach so is electric. Too. I appreciate. It. Yeah, Dan Campbell, like my five espresso shots on the way yeah. in, and then another five. <laughs> shout, shout out my Bama boys on the team. I hope y'all continue to do all your agreements outside of the facility, Jameson. <laughs> <laughs>
They, I, I don't blame them. Down here in Bama, we didn't have any rules, so they're, they're probably a little bit perplexed. <laughs> did, you, kind of yeah, hey, did you see when um, Notre Dame beat uh, USC, St. Brown was dressed up in an Irish costume, and like before they even asked him any questions, he was like, it was done outside of the facility. Yeah, <laughs> that's where I got the, inside the facility. Yeah, That's where I got agreements from. Yeah. Like, all of them are logging yeah. on to the Detroit Lions, you know, Wi-Fi <laughs> to make bets. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, I appreciate you guys for having me on. I mean, I think this is like I was telling Ryan, this is like one of the like the first one that I've done on the other side. But um, keep pushing. You guys are doing some great things. I know I'm inspired by it too. Just you know, two brown men figuring it out. Uh, it's super, super real to me, and I think it hits home for a lot of other people. So super excited to see where it goes. Yeah, one last thing. I'd be remiss if I didn't point out Barney's a day one. Like, I appreciate the way you are so genuine and authentic. You've, you've jumped in to help EQ many, many times for those that are unfamiliar. Brought a ton of discipline, a lot of lessons that we continue to use to this day. We would pivot every other week, and Barney had the patience with us. So I want to thank you again for just always supporting us, always yeah. supporting It's a family thing. If y'all are doing it, I'm involved just as much. So well, I mean, family obviously. invites family to eat at their mom's house for Indian food. I just keep <laughs> that's that true. Yeah, that's I true. I will. For sure. For sure. All right. I appreciate it, guys. Amazing. Be, be well. I'll see you soon. Be well. Appreciate you. All right.